Today on the podcast, we'll be focusing on the hustle and what it takes to become a successful chef. On the show with me, I have Chef Amotida, who's a private chef and a restaurant consultant. She has been a professional chef for eight years and has created some amazing dining experiences across three continents. Don't go anywhere. Hi, and welcome to Lolly Secrets, a place where we work towards becoming a better version of ourselves by aligning expectations with reality, with a key focus on our self-development journey. If you haven't already, go on and subscribe to our podcast for more of our content. Imotada, welcome to the show. Hi, Lolly. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I just wanted to ask you, what got you started on this journey? So becoming a chef was really funny for me because it wasn't something that I ever really set out to do. It's a bit of a long story, but I will share it. Please do. So basically, I used to be a makeup artist. I was a makeup artist for about eight years. I worked. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it up. Back it up a second. (laughs) How did you go from being a makeup artist and now becoming a chef? I know those are two very creative outlets, but that's very, um, that's two ends. It's very random. Yes. Tell me more. It's funny. I tell people that they're quite related because I love working with my hands. I've always loved working with my hands. I used to do woodwork when I was younger. I made furniture. I made jewelry. So food, you work with your hands. Makeup, you work with your hands. But um, I, like I said, I used to be a makeup artist. I was working in Nollywood for, anyway, one of the big production companies. Hollywood is the American yes. version of Nollywood. It's the Nigerian Hollywood in essence. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I was working there and I had this idea when I had my daughter. I never really used to cook, but when I had my daughter, I started watching a lot more of the Food Network and stuff like that because you can't feed, I had her in college, and you cannot feed a baby what you can feed yourself as a college student. (laughs) I was trying to, you know, I'm trying to keep her alive. So I started watching a lot more of the Food Network, getting more interested in just generally cooking and putting dishes together in more appealing ways. And one of the things I realized, because I was in Canada at this point, this was before I moved back to Nigeria, was that there was a lack of cooking show hosts that encapsulated all the things that I liked. So there weren't a lot of women of color on TV at that time. This was way back in like 2010 or so. It was almost a decade ago. Um, There weren't as many women not as many women of color, not as many women who were doing it and encapsulating my love of fashion and makeup and beauty and all those things. So I had this idea and I jotted it down randomly one day into a book and I was like, oh, cooking show called Heels in the Kitchen. Because I used, I didn't own a pair of flat shoes. I used to live in heels mm. called Heels in the Kitchen and, you know, with the fashionable hostess and blah, blah, blah. And I just made a, l- a few quick notes and I just put it to the side. It wasn't something I was serious about, but you know, when you think about something, write it down. I write everything down. Mm. Anyway, so fast forward a couple of years later, I'm working in Nigeria and I'm talking to my dad one day and I talk a lot and he goes, you know what? You should be on television. Like you're working in TV, blah, 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 but you should be actually working in TV. Like you should be producing a show because you know so much and you're so passionate, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because I do have this show that I would love to produce. So I told him about it and he was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And I'll fund your pilot, but the only catch is you have to host the show yourself because you have this big personality and you should share it and I was like "Uh, I don't know about that I just wanted to like find somebody to host the show and (laughs) produce the show I I, I wasn't trying to be the hostess of the show Mm -hmm. Um, but he was like yeah that's the only way I'll find your pilot if you do it yourself so I was like and this is your dad this is my dad your dad's a rock star by the way he is he is so I was like okay cool I can do that but everything I do I need to get some sort of education for it so before I became a makeup artist I went to like two different beauty schools because I I like knowing that I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's that you need that confidence, don't you? Exactly. I need.
need that confidence. So I was like, okay, I can do this, but first I have to go to culinary school. Mm. It was just to get some knowledge because I wasn't planning to be a chef or anything. I just wanted to not be hosting the show and not know about food. Mm. So I went online and I was like, okay, what's a good culinary school? And obviously we've all read and heard about Le Cordon Bleu because I don't know, I just knew it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know whether or not it was amazing, but it was, it's a French culinary school that they write about in all the MMBs I read where they say it's was in the a books, chef. it's on TV, it's everywhere. You, know? you gotta do it. Julia, Julia Childs <laughs> walked through that, you know, their little cookbook. So I was like, it's not a little cookbook. So I was like, okay. <laughs> There's one in England. I don't speak French, so I'm not going to go to France. So I found a school in England, Cordon Bleu. I was like, okay, well, you know what? This is good. It's prestigious. If I say it outside, people take me seriously because I've been here. So I took a concentrated three-month course. And while I was taking that course, I was like, this is fantastic. Like, I'd never thought about cooking as a profession. But like, while I was in culinary school, I was like, this is amazing. This is, this is what I want to do. This can be my life every day. Like, if I woke up every day to do this. I would not be mad. I could have stayed in culinary school forever. And before I went to culinary school, I went to Toronto and took some film courses. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, before I do anything, I like understanding it. So even though I wasn't going to be my own DOP or filming my own show, I just, I wanted to be able to understand what the director and the camera guys were talking about and the grip guys. I went to Toronto for about a month as well. And I took a short course just running me through all the basics. So daddy really invested in your dream. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Shout outs to daddies out there who really love their daughters and invest in their dreams. That's all I've got to say about that. Okay, thank you. You really did. You know, it's so funny. I was working at this production house and I was making at that time 400,000 Naira monthly roughly. That's a good pay though. It was a good pay. And I was living in my dad's house. So I wasn't paying rent. I was barely buying food because I got a food budget as well. That's really good pay, by the way, because I wasn't even making that when I was living in Nigeria some five years ago. No, it was an, it was amazing pay for that time. So, you know, I was young. I think I was maybe 26, 27. My parents were also helping me with my kids. So I didn't have anything to really spend money on. So I had savings, not because I was saving money, but because I wasn't, spending I didn't money. have anything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I never, I still don't buy designer clothes. Mm -hmm. I don't. You were frugal. I wasn't frugal. I just didn't have enough things to spend my money on. I promise <laughs> you if I, because I also couldn't travel because of work. If I could travel, I would have been broke all the time because my salary would have gone to travel monthly. But I just didn't have anything to spend money on. So even when I ordered stuff, like the exchange rate was still 160 naira to the dollar. So I would order clothes online and it would still be cheap. So I had enough saved up to kind of like pay for my ticket, to pay for rent and stuff like that. But my dad definitely came in and paid for a lot. Actually, I think I ended up paying for culinary school myself, but he paid for everything else mm. so that was amazing uh, but yeah no he was definitely extremely supportive so yeah while I was in culinary school I realized how much I love cooking so I came back to Nigeria and for a little bit I tried to balance being a makeup artist and being a chef and it just because you work with your hands they require you to be physically present at all times so it's it definitely wasn't something that I could handle so I just slowly let go of makeup I did a couple more big movies and then I was like yeah 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 now I'm gonna focus on cooking so yeah that is how I became a chef because I wanted to do this TV show that still has not seen the light of day. <laughs> My poor dad. <laughs> But um, well, yeah. you did something else though, didn't you? Yeah, so I've done a bunch of different shows. Mm -hmm. I just finished filming one right now, actually. Mm -hmm. But 
I focus mostly on being a private chef, catering, and just generally cooking good food for people. So I'm just going to take you back a little bit. Now, I know that Heels in the Kitchen didn't end up being a show, but I know that you did turn it into something else because that's how I actually met you, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I have a cousin who randomly said to me, oh, would you like to come out with me one day? He showed me a menu, and this is how I met you. Mm-hmm. He goes to me, there's this fabulous, well, he didn't say it in those words, but this is just how <laughs> I remember it anyway. He goes, I'm going to this brunch thing. Would you like to go? And I was like, oh, what's this? I saw some braised something, some mashed something, some... <laughs> I don't even remember what that menu was. It was just all these words. All I remember thinking was, okay, I haven't found a menu like this that spoke to me in a very long time in Nigeria that had all these beautiful words (laughs) that basically had all these kinds of dishes in this combinations Mm. and that actually made sense. All the dishes and everything just, my mouth was watering and it is right now as we speak even because I remember that day quite vividly. Oh wow, yay. And I said to him, where is this and when is it happening? He goes, we're going to this in a few hours. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, but I'm broke. And he goes, oh, don't worry, I'll pay for it. Awesome. And I was like, oh, yeah, good to have good cousins around you, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we got there, and I think that was the day I met Moni as well. Okay. So, and that friendship's still going strong, by the way. So you've brought some people together. Yay! I'm so happy you know. to hear that. Very happy about that. So I met some really great people that day. So we sat there and there was just a bunch of great people there. That night seemed to have brought quite a lot of like-minded people together. And it was just a wonderful experience. And there was also wine involved. I think there was wine pairing as well, Mm -hmm. which was also key because I knew that I hadn't found that in Lagos at all. Mm. Like I hadn't found any of that. So the food starts coming out and the first course comes. I'm so critical because I'm in hospitality. Mm. I'm very critical about food and positioning of stuff and presentation and plating everything so i was like let's see what's all about and as soon as the first course came out i was just like okay the plating's pretty good i was not expecting that considering even that it was quite a relaxed atmosphere yeah but because the stranger was never supposed to be formal exactly and also the menu you know it raised the bar already so my interest was quite peaked Mm -hmm. so i was like okay it's quite a relaxed atmosphere but the menu says something else the food came out and it was top class so i was like okay let me taste it let's see what's here so my cousin and i he ordered what i wanted but i was like i'm gonna order something different just so i can taste and see what's going on try everything exactly so i tasted his i tasted mine everything was delicious i was like okay you know a lot of places it looks nice but you know the taste is mm, you know it's a lot of time you can never get both sides it'll look nice but mm, the taste is dodge or it'll taste great but it looks dodge you know that kind of way yeah i do But for me to get both, it's rare, especially in Nigeria. And when I got both, I said, okay, I need to meet this girl. I need to meet her. This is good stuff. And he's like, I told you she's good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People say stuff, you know, especially (laughs) when you know somebody and the person's your person. Exactly. When someone's your person and your friend, you talk a good game. I needed to taste it for myself. I said, okay, I'm still not sold completely though. Let me taste the second course. 
And same thing again. I was like, holy smokes. Okay. Then you came out and sat with everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, that was actually what made me really like you because when you came and sat with everyone and you were talking with everybody and you kind of went around the table, but it didn't feel staged either. You actually wanted to get to know everyone and your personality really came through and you were just hanging out. That's one of the things I love the most about Stranger. And I think because Stranger was one of the first collaborations I did as a chef Mm. working with them because they had the space and I didn't have a space Mm. and they had the kitchen and it worked really, really well for me because I loved being able to serve food and they let me serve whatever I wanted. And Mm. I changed the menu every week. Yes. So I could be as creative as I wanted to be or as lazy as I wanted to be. It could be as familiar as I wanted it to Mm. be or as out of the world as I wanted it to be. Mm. And I had all these people who were genuinely interested in food Mm -hmm. who were coming to try it out. And it Mm -hmm. became a little family because there were people who would come literally every week. Mm -hmm. And then there were people who once a month. Yeah. But I loved being able to, you know, serve the food and then come out and speak to people, not necessarily about the food, but I mean, obviously we always talked about the food, but just hang out. And it became this great little community. Mm. And I love that it was food that just brought everybody together and people made some really good friends there. And that was amazing for me to have people come through and, you know, meet other people, make friends, enjoy really good food. And it wasn't too expensive. Mm -hmm. We always tried to keep it reasonably affordable so that we wouldn't put anyone off because I believed and I still believe that good food should be accessible to everybody. So yeah, that stranger was definitely one of my favorite experiences as a chef. I was very sad when they closed and Mm. I'm hoping that I can find or create that sort of space again. If you can, it will be glorious because honestly, I wish I went more. Later on when I had the opportunity to, I found out that it wasn't there anymore and I was so gutted to be honest. I made such a good friend in Moni and then I found out there were some other really cool people there and Mm -hmm. like later on like we got to be friends so it would have been nice to kind of meet more people but it wasn't just about the people though the food was excellent and I really enjoyed that experience thank you Thank you very much. I just wanted to know, is it something that you would recreate in the future? Oh, definitely. That I loved, like I said, I love that experience. And it's something that I definitely want to do again. Um, a similar format, actually. The format doesn't even have to change. Just that exact same format, just in mm. a different space, different city. Because it, like you said, it's really relaxed. And I think I love restaurants. I go out to eat a lot. But I do also really enjoy, because it was more like a supper club. Yes. It's a shorter menu. It's more limited. But mm. It's almost like a family meal with strangers where nobody is putting on any airs. Everybody's just there to relax, have a good time, get to have a one-on-one conversation. Now that I do bigger events that I actually work in a restaurant now, mm-hmm. I don't know my customers. Mm-hmm. And some of them I see because they come really often. But if I'm spending all my time in the kitchen, I can't really come to the floor as much. Um, mm-hmm. So I, can't, I miss that getting to know my customers and the people that are eating and enjoying the food that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. I really want want to go back to being closer to my guests as opposed to just being a chef in the kitchen sending out food. And then I find even now that the food has more soul when I'm cooking it that way in smaller batches for, you know, a smaller group of people, it feels so much more organic than, Mm -hmm. you know, churning out 200 plates a night, 300 plates a night. Because that's part of it, isn't it? It's seeing that joy in people's faces, knowing that, you know, what you've made for them, the pleasure and knowing that they enjoyed it so much. Rather than Mm -hmm. just making something and then just churning it out. Exactly. I think that getting that feedback is part of the joy in creating something, isn't it? It definitely is for me. Definitely is. I feel you on that. 
So do you have any mentors that have inspired you along the way? Someone that you've taken some advice from that you go to anytime you need help, especially when it comes to being a chef? You know, I love the chef community in Lagos and generally worldwide because we are all very open and accepting of each other. And always, I've never met a chef that wasn't eager to help another chef. I'm sure they exist. I just haven't met one. So I've been really lucky in that. And I find a lot of inspiration in my peers, especially a Nigerian chefs because they're doing a lot of super exciting things with food Mm -hmm. and fusing Nigerian food and taking it to the next level. If you look at people like Chef Fregs, actually Chef Fregs is one of the people who, when I first started getting interested in cooking, kind of piqued my interest Mm. because he was probably the first chef chef in Lagos. Like, Mm. you know how you have all these celebrity quote unquote chefs now? Mm -hmm. He was the first one in Lagos. He was definitely a pioneer. And it's so funny. I have a Twitter message that I sent to him years, years, years ago before I even knew I was going to cook. And it was me begging him to do some cooking classes. Like, please, I want to learn. Like, you make this amazing food. Please do some cooking classes so that I can learn and cook this for myself and my daughter. And he still inspires me. Sometimes I just go and sit on his Instagram page because his plating is amazing. Mm. So Chef Fregs definitely is one of my biggest inspirations. Mm. Internationally, there are a bunch of people. I love Italian food, so I really love uh, Chef Bottura, Massimo Bottura. Mm-hmm. He's great. I've never been to his restaurant, but hopefully I will make my way <laughs> down to Modena, Sarah Francesca and try it out. But I find him extremely inspirational, and I like that he's always looking for ways to give back to the community, mm. to people with special needs. Who else? Who else? Oh, Chef Akat. Grant Akant's of Alinea Group. Okay. He is a visionary. Mm. He thinks about food in ways that I know I could never, but I love being able to enjoy his processes. I mean, he's like, okay, if there's a way that we can defy gravity in our plates, <laughs> can we make it happen? And I'm like, what are you talking about? You're making food. Why are you trying to defy gravity? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, he's created a floating dessert made of, you know, a balloon filled with helium made of sugar. And you're like, what? How does your mind even go there? Like, and how do you inspire your team to take this crazy thing? Because if my chef or, you know, if I was working at a restaurant and the head chef said to me, I want to defy gravity with dessert. I'd be like, "Okay, cool. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be crazy. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he has these crazy ideas and he inspires his team to make it happen and they make it happen. Something else that I love that he did that I plan to copy, no lies, I'm going to copy it as a centerpiece on the table that would slowly over time become a part of the dinner. And when you hear it like that, you're like, what, what is he really talking about? Like a centerpiece that would become a part of the dinner. Centerpieces are decorative. And then what they did was create this gorgeous little grill garden-esque type of thing that had a piece of chicken thigh wrapped in banana leaves slowly cooking mm-hmm. so they put it on the table and it just looks like a centerpiece I, when you sit down it's part of your first course just like decor mm-hmm. and when you get to like maybe your fifth or sixth course they reach into this fire and pull out a piece of meat mm-hmm. that has been cooking for the duration of your dinner and it's this amazing reveal mm-hmm. um so it's for me like watching him and I, every interview he does every documentary he's in i always find it and watch it because he inspires me to think about food in different his style is not what I'm going for, but it lets me know like nothing is too crazy, especially when I'm messing with Nigerian food and taking ingredients that aren't supposed to be used a certain 
and using them in different ways. I think I, I always say he has this thing he says and he it's like rules. What are rules? <laughs> you know, he's like, there are no rules. Just do whatever you want. So anytime somebody says to me, oh, I want to try this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, there are no rules. Just do whatever you want. Sometimes it'll work out. Sometimes it won't because he's had disasters, but he's amazing. One of the best chefs in the world. So yes, I guess those three people inspire me a lot. Now, you said that, you know, you're currently now working in a restaurant, but there was a time where you were still doing private chef services. Exactly. Do you still do that or? I still do that on occasion. The restaurant keeps me pretty busy, so it's a bit difficult for me to do it as much as I would like because I love doing it. But I do get the occasional clients and try and work my, because I still have some old clients who want. It takes a special client to entice you, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty Mm -hmm. much. But um, I, I try and as much as I possibly can to maybe one or two a month. Sometimes I don't get to any, but one or two a month. And especially with the future, we don't know what the future holds. So we don't know what the future holds. Exactly. And I'll be honest, like this restaurant I'm working at is not my restaurant. Mm-hmm. I just work there. So I'm just trying to get them to a place where I'm confident in what I've taught the staff and mm-hmm. the team I've put together. And then mm-hmm. I'll move on to the next thing. So mm-hmm. that's the problem with chefs. We are tend to be a very restless bunch well it's a creative outlet isn't it so once you kind of get to a certain point you're like okay what's the next thing what's the next thing exactly so just to talk a little bit more about the private dining and the private chef services that you do Mm -hmm. how did you decide on that as your niche as opposed to just saying oh i want to be a head chef or own my own restaurant or what have you? It was easy to decide not to own my own restaurant because I didn't have the money. So, you know, (laughs) that was an easy decision to make. It's like, can you afford it? No. Okay. Moving on. So for when I came into the market, it was really the best option. I mean, at the time, not a lot of restaurants in Nigeria were very invested in their food, which sounds very funny, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was more of a, you have the money, you open a space and then your chef is the last thing you think about. And to be honest, we have to also look at the country that it is, right? The percentage of people that value a chef that, you know, went to Cordon Bleu. Yeah. So the market wasn't really there for more. Yeah, they're not ready for it. Yeah. They were really weren't ready for it. Yeah. Uh, so now that we have a budding middle class and upper class... Now that now there's a need. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And people are more discerning and asking for because people weren't asking for that much from restaurants, exactly. to be honest. Exactly. They wanted their Chinese. They wanted their continental. Exactly. I hate hearing continental because what is continental <laughs> Exactly. Food? Um, so that's really what they wanted. So mm-hmm. definitely when I started, there wasn't a market for me mm-hmm. as a head chef. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was easier to make ends meet by catering to the few people who, yeah, the high echelon, yeah. yeah. And then most of the people who wanted that, even those stranger crews, people who'd lived outside the country for a while, yes. who missed what they had easy access to here. So yes. being a private chef was a lot easier. And a lot of my clients came from stranger, um, people who'd come for like a stranger lunch. I wanted to do mm-hmm. something similar for their birthdays and stuff like that. So it wasn't um, too much of a difficult decision to do that. Mm-hmm. And then from doing that we segued to doing events because people were like okay well this is great you've done a dinner party for 12 15 30 mm-hmm. but now we want to do parties mm-hmm. so what are you going to do and then we started doing canapes for events which mm-hmm. we still do mm-hmm. and obviously that grew to then doing main foods for events doing desserts for events and things like that so uh, we did definitely have a bit of an organic growth and something we used to do that i decided to stop doing was we used to just adapt ourselves mm. to whatever the job was yeah so if somebody called me and said, oh, you know, 
what? We need you to do lunch for an office. I would bend over backwards to figure out how to do office lunches. And you don't want to say no to a client because you don't. Well, mostly because we need the money. <laughs> yeah. Like it all comes down to nickels and cents yeah. or, you know, naira's and covers as the case may be. And it really helped us. I don't regret it because it really helped us be versatile. It helped me grow yeah. and kind of learn what it was that I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Yeah. But now I don't do it anymore because now I'm like, this is what we do because I've realized office lunches aren't what I do. And some things are not worth it for you anymore. They're not. Yeah. And if I can't uh, deliver 100% passion and goals and, you know, deliver at the same level yeah, no and point. I deliver everything else, there's no point. Yeah. But I'm still very grateful for that point because it helped me fine tune what it is I do. Mm. So I also believe that sometimes as well, some clients kind of sometimes do need to bend over backward because you don't know what other doors those clients will open for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm not saying do it for everyone. I'm just saying there's some clients as well that you kind of have to be discerning. Yeah, no, for sure. This I might have to take that extra leap and try for them. Oh, no, that's definitely for sure. And even sometimes just people who have kind of rocked with us from the beginning. Yeah will make it happen because you really need those people, people who supported you yeah. in the beginning. Your day one people. Oh, yes. Your day one people. Because when I started out, I didn't have a name. I didn't have, like, for people to trust me, that was a big deal to me yeah. because it's not like they had a million people that they could go to for referrals. It's why I still love the stranger crowd because it wasn't expensive and I get that, but it's still money and it was still people choosing to spend their hard-earned money on my food without really me being tried and tested or having a name for myself. So that was extremely important to me and I really appreciated everyone that trusted me in that time. So what other things would you have done differently? I know we've just talked about, you know, certain jobs you would have not taken. So if you look back now. There are about a million and 12 things I would have done completely differently. Let's pick top three. The very first thing I would have done is hire a good business manager. Somebody with a head for business whose only job would be to make sure that business was coming in. The business was properly organized. Somebody to, you know, deal with organizing of the business, deal with handling customers, deal with bookings, things like that. Definitely the first thing and the one thing I wish I had done was hire a proper business manager Mm -hmm. to handle all the non-creative aspects of the business. That's the one mistake I made because I'm not business-minded. I'm only organized in the kitchen. Yeah. You're more creative in that sense. I describe myself as a creative's creative. Mm -hmm. I am a full creative 100%. Business does not come easy to me. It does not. I have zero business acumen. But let's level now, in fairness, for someone who's starting out, right, and you're not big on funds, if you don't have a lot of funds, you might not be able to afford to hire a business manager now. So what's a girl to do? Listen, I will tell you that not hiring a business manager is more expensive than whatever you will pay a good business manager. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would have been fully broke and been paying my business manager all the money. But something else, and now when people come up to me, it's the first piece of advice that I give them is even if you don't have the funds, find somebody and sell your business to them. Make them believe in it more than you believe in it Mm. and let them know that with your help and for this, you need to have a viable business that's going to make money that you know is going to make money. But why are you doing it if you don't think it's going to make money, right? Find somebody and sell your business to them. Make them believe in your dream. So that if you have nothing, they'll tell you, you know what? You're going to have something. Don't worry. You're going to have something. I know that this is going to become a thing. So I'm 
just as hard as you, you are in the push. kitchen, they will push the business arm for you. Exactly. You need someone that will push and then you will need to give them because you have to get someone experienced. Yeah. So when I say sell your dream, listen, your cousin that you grew up with is going to believe in your dream, but is he going to work for your dream yeah. the way you need your person to? So let it they be a need to live and breathe it the way you are living and breathing in the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. And if you can sell your dream enough to somebody else who has the qualifications you need and that person buys in, then you know you have a viable business because you're selling your dream to somebody who's intelligent, right? But you need to also compensate this person who's working just as hard in the front as you oh, are definitely. in the back. That's all I'm oh, going to say. Because some people do that and then I, they Oh, don't. no, I was coming to that. <laughs> so that person now owns a part of your business. Mm. And I understand why people are wary of doing this, but if you don't have the fun and you're asking somebody to work to the bone to get you somewhere, give that person a stake in your business. Because yeah. one, now that's their business. Mm -hmm. Do you think I'm not going to work hard to push my business? Mm -hmm. I am going to push my business. And two, you're, that's future compensation for them. Mm -hmm. Make sure, and this is another thing I should have done, make sure you're doing this with a lawyer so that you, know, you maintain majority stake in your business because it is your business, it, it is, is your idea. Mm -hmm. If you're the creative, at the end of the day, most of the time, it will be your work. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that you're protected, but you also need to make sure that that person is protected. Because if that person feels like they're getting a fair shake from you, mm -hmm. then trust me, they are going to work. Means I can focus on making sure that the part that I'm doing, the cooking, the creating of the dishes, mm -hmm. all of that, and the creating of the space, I'm giving that 100%. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about... Mm. Are our taxes filed? Yeah. Are we insured? Yeah. Do we have HR people? Yeah. I don't have to worry about the details. Obviously, yeah. I will pay attention to that yeah. because it's my business. And then you'll have your meetings as well, of course. Exactly. So yeah. I have my meetings. I'll have my feedback. But I'm able to focus on the creative side and the customer-facing side and can focus on the back end and the business side mm -hmm. and the marketing side mm -hmm. because I cannot do everything. So no, the one can. thing, the one lesson that I have learned is the first thing you do if you have a business that you're serious about and you want to grow, get a good business manager. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say, create the processes now. Mm -hmm. Look at any company, any Fortune 500, that's any doing well, yeah. that's doing it well, any, any company, any top company that has more than 20 employees or 100 employees or whatever. There are processes in place. Look at McDonald's. When you go to McDonald's to get a burger, they function and it is, it's almost like a robot line. It's almost robotic at this point. Mm -hmm. Create those processes because those processes are what make you consistent. And when you're doing food, especially if you're serving the same thing every day, you need to be constantly consistent. Yeah. You need to have processes yeah. for everything. That's why you have recipes. That's why you have recipes. Yeah. So treat everything like a recipe. So even your shopping mm -hmm. for your groceries, because when you start out, chances are you're doing it yourself, mm -hmm. but have a process for it. You get your order, you log in your order into mm -hmm. a table or a system, you write out the ingredients, you buy this from here, you buy that from there, create processes. This is where we get this. This is how much this costs. This mm -hmm. is what we use. This is how much we use. This is how we deliver. You need to have standardization for everything. Otherwise, everything falls apart everything falls apart. And then it also helps you reduce your prep time. It helps you be able to deliver on time every time because you already know what you're going to do, yeah. which is something else. Another reason why I stopped taking every kind of job, mm -hmm. because if I need to constantly adapt to each job, you have to create new processes again, each and every time. 
Exactly. And if you're creating new processes, again, it takes time to create these processes. So you're less efficient. But because you've had to create all these processes, it means, though, that you've now created a ton of processes, just so you know. I have definitely. Oh, I've created a ton of processes. So now you're a pro in all these things that you've done now, just so you know. And you don't have to create these processes again now that you've already created them, though. I definitely am. But so on the one side, like I said, I have very few regrets when it comes to work. Like I have lessons learned, but they're not regrets. But if you look at it, if I had created two products or three products when I first started out and created processes around those two, three products. Yeah, you'd be much further I would be much further along with those products. Absolutely right. I'm with you. So... Exactly. So now I have experience and I'm very happy that when people come to me and they want to ask me questions, I can give you advice on running a restaurant and I can give you advice on doing pop-ups and I can give you advice on working fast food because I've done so many things. Mm -hmm. I could advise you on how to do a food tour around the world because Mm -hmm. guess what? I've done a food tour four years in a row. Yes, you have. Let's talk a little bit about that now that it's on topic. (laughs) Now that it's come up. I mean, we were getting to it, but you know. No, but yeah. This is the Nigerian Fusion Food Tour, right? Yep. Nigerian Fusion Food Tour. Let's talk a little bit about that. How did that come about? So it's very funny because of the internet and social media age, you always have people who are reaching out to you from different cities who are saying, oh, I would love to try your food, but you're in Nigeria. I'm in California. I'm in Vegas. I'm in London. I'm in France. But this is a testament to what you've already been doing. Which I'm so great once more, so grateful for. Um, so I had a friend who was like, you know what? Come do a dinner in England. Just come. I'll find you a place to say, come do a dinner in England because there's so many people in England who want to try your food. So come through, let's do this. And I'm like, okay, fair, I will do that. But then I was like, hold on, I don't want to travel to England. I don't want to leave because I don't travel often. I love traveling, but I don't really travel often. And when I travel, I travel. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to go to four cities and see everybody. So I was like, okay, I could go to England and come back or I could go to England and then go to a few places because I'm already out of the country anyway. Might as well keep it going. So... I said, okay, I'll do the dinner in London, but I want to do one in Canada because that's my home. Toronto is my home. I want to do one in Toronto Mm. and I want to do one in Washington because Washington, well, Baltimore is my second home, actually. Mm. So I want to do one there. And then I was like, you know what? If I'm already going to be in America, might as well do (laughs) one in a couple more more places. Why not? If not? (laughs) You know what? Why not if not? And that's literally how the tour came about. And I was like, this can be great. I want to take a Nigerian fusion menu, recipes and dishes that nobody has ever seen before and take it to all these different cities so that London gets the same experience that Toronto got and Toronto gets the same experience that Washington gets and Washington gets the same experience that Atlanta gets and Atlanta gets the same experience that Chicago gets. So all of you who've been wanting to try my food are all trying the same food in different cities. Let's do it. And yeah, so funny. I planned this thing almost by myself on my computer with no funds um, the first year. And I just said to myself, you know what, we're going to do it. And if in each city we make enough money to do it, we do it. If not, we don't do it. So I called Chef Fregs and I said, Fregs, you know, I've loved you from time. So I want to do this tour and I want you to do it with me. And we're going to go to all these cities and we're going to cook all this food and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to start in Abuja. Mm. And he's like, that sounds great. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and he was in. So we started out in Abuja. Abuja was fabulous. Went to London. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, he couldn't make it to London because of visa issues. I went to London. London sold out, and then people crashed the dinner. Like, there were people who didn't pay who were there. And I'm like, no, but we don't have space. (laughs) They're like, yeah, but we want to do this. So it was an immense success. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then we did Baltimore. Baltimore was also amazing. We did Chicago. That was great. And, yeah, so that is really how it happened. I'm looking at it on Instagram again, and I'm just like, the plating is beautiful. Yeah, so we... I wanted to present Nigerian food. And it's so funny because it's called the Nigerian Fusion Tour because we take Nigerian ingredients and fuse them with cooking techniques from Italy and Mexico and France. And, you know, because I'm French trained, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of my stuff, I use a lot of French techniques. And we just show people that Nigerian food does not just always have to be the same thing. It can be, and it is extremely versatile. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the best things that I've done. And it's something that we're going to work with once a year. And we're just kind of hopefully get better every year fantastic sounds like you're living the dream we're trying to anyway (laughs) (laughs) oh wow so when's the next one are you do you have any other one any other tours planned we haven't selected the dates yet for the next tour okay i mean if you feel like doing one in ireland i'm just (laughs) you know what we will go anywhere that you know we have customers anywhere that people are interested so we always put out calls on the internet for people to tell us where they want to see us where we should go who's interested so if we have enough people in ireland who are interested who knows okay well i will put it out when next you put it up i will share it with my irish community and just let them know that it's out there because i don't think that they're aware that you would potentially want to come to Ireland. Oh, definitely. As long as we can get a minimum of 60 people to come through, we'll be there. Okay. That's really it. Like the minimum per city is 60 people. (laughs) Oh, yes. And then the third thing you would do differently. Ah, right. The third thing. Oh, the third thing I would do differently. And this ties into a business manager as well, but it's also important enough that I think it should be a point on its own, on its own separation of church and state. separate your business finances from your personal finances. Mm -hmm. And it is a very easy trap for you to fall into when you first start a business because you've put your money into it first, especially if you're starting on a small scale. And then you start kind of paying yourself back. Dipping in and out. Dipping in and out. And you always think that you'll separate it, but then somehow, some way, it always gets muddled every single time. So that's the one thing. It's the most important thing. Even if you don't have a business manager, make sure you're separating church and state. And I had to talk to a lady about this the other day because she started her own business. And I have the most basic formula. I'm not a finance person. I don't know how to handle money. And let me just be honest with you. I have not fully separated church and state for myself yet, but I'm working on that. There is a very basic, basic, basic formula that I use to help me kind of keep things apart. Like I said, if you start processes before you start making money, then life is easier for you. So the first thing you want to do when you start any small businesses have your startup funds right because mm-hmm. you need money to start it mm-hmm. don't start it when you get your first job mm-hmm. start it before you get your first job mm-hmm. so take i'm going to use naira take say thirty thousand naira put it in an account a brand new account and that thirty thousand naira is your startup fund for your business mm-hmm. that is money for your business you are your own first investor it is your first investment in your business mm-hmm. you have that thirty thousand naira That is the money that you will use for your first job, for your marketing. I mean, obviously, depending on what you do, the number has to either go.
go up or down. But that is the money that you use to take, if you're doing a food business, to buy your first ingredients, take your first pictures to use to advertise your business on social media. That money is not your money. That is business money. Mm. Now, when you get your first job, always, always, always collect a deposit. I collect full payment from all my clients now, but I've been doing this for a while. So they have a little bit more faith in me. If you're brand new, they may not have the same amount of faith in you because you need to be tried and tested. So let's say the first job is 60K and they pay you a deposit of 40K. Yeah. 30% of the total that you're paid is what you use to actually do the job. Mm. So if you're doing a job, your groceries, your transport, all of that should not cost you more than 30K because this is a business. So don't look at it like you're cheating people. Mm. Look at it as a business that you need to always make a profit from. Mm. So if the job you're charging 60K for should cost 20K of that 60K should go to buying the ingredients, buying your gas, your transportation and getting you there. Mm. Then 20K of that is your profit. Mm. 20K of that is pure profit. You're going to put that into your business account. Mm -hmm. That separate account that you put your startup fund in, that 20K is going to go into that account. And then the last 20K, you've divided this into three, right? So the last 20K, you're going to pay yourself 15K from that money. And then 5K of that is going to go to whatever other miscellaneous Mm. thing come up. Mm. So if you do a job for 60K, you should have at the very least 20K to put back into your business account. And if you pay yourself that 15K and there's no need for that miscellaneous 5K, that goes not to you, but to your business account. Reinvesting, yeah. You're reinvesting. So it's extra money that is going into your account, but it's not extra money because it's money for what, like you charge it, it's from that job. So at the end of the job, there should be a minimum of 20K made from that job. Now, because it's food, for the most part, you can get away with kind of charging a bit more arbitrarily. So you should probably have more than that 20K, but you should make sure that whatever job you're doing, you have at least 30% of whatever it is you charge for that job as profit as the end. And that should go into a separate account. It's not your money. That is the business's money. If you take it, you're embezzling from your own business. So you need to look at it that way. That taking any money from that business account that you haven't earned is stealing from your own money. And then from that account, you can then send yourself the 15K. Mm -hmm. Then you pay yourself. Yeah. And then when you get to a point where you're making more stable money, put yourself on a salary and put yeah. yourself on a reasonable salary. Yeah. Don't start out a business and start paying yourself 500, 600K monthly. And if you pay your salary and you don't have money left in the bank account, don't pay yourself for that month. You're broke that month. If you were working in a company and their bank account was empty for a month, you wouldn't get paid that month. So you need to look at yourself and ask yourself why you can't pay yourself that month and mm. fix your life. Mm go back and work over your business. So the third and the absolute most important thing that you need to do when you start a business is separate church and state. And once you get to a point where you can afford to put yourself on a modest salary and do not pay yourself if the company can't afford it. If your salary is 100K and there's 110K in the account, guess what? You can't afford to pay yourself a salary this month. We'll hustle harder next month. What did my husband say? I think he said something along the lines of you can only afford to start paying yourself when there's up to one year's amount of salary worth for you. So basically he said when you start a side hustle, you can only afford to start paying yourself a salary when there's up to one year's amount of like extra funds. I agree. I agree with that. You. I think that's also a great way to. And then you can now say, it. okay, I can start paying myself 
like monthly mm-hmm. salary now. So if anything happens, there's one year at least back pay for you. Yep. And I said, fair enough. I 100% agree with that. I think that's great. Like that means the business is stable enough to afford to pay you salary. Exactly. Don't just start paying yourself now that there's a one month. Woo, I'm going to start mm-hmm. paying myself now. Exactly. You need to make sure that you can. And then think about it. If you get a surprise job and you just paid yourself all the money, how are you going to execute that job? Exactly. So you need to always treat it as a serious business. Set up these processes ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say is the most difficult part of the creative process for you when cooking or trying to even create a menu for your client? I do not know. I do not know. So that's the part that I love. That part comes a little bit easier to me. So it's not something I ever really worry about. I guess I'm trying to put into consideration everybody's different tastes. But because my taste as well is so eclectic, I mean, I love meat. So it's when I have to do vegan things, I'm like, oh, I mean, I respect your choices, but this is so hard for me. So you've never struggled with any vegans and then lactose intolerance and all those kind of dietary requirements? I have some clients who are vegan. I've had lots of vegetarian clients. I have vegetarian family members. Because I like meat, I'm always like, can I sneak in a steak here? Would you notice? Obviously, I would never do that. But I'm also, (laughs) I enjoy the challenge. Mm-hmm. of creating things that taste and I don't think being vegan is especially in Nigeria necessarily that difficult because for me I'm starting from scratch right so it's not like I'm using ready-made sauces that may or may not have meat in it so it's just getting a little bit more creative I can't use butter I can use coconut oil mm-hmm. I can't use cream I can use silken tofu I can use coconut milk I can use any kind of nut milk I think vegan food can be just as tasty and is just as tasty like I cook a lot of things that are vegan and people don't notice because I don't go around and and oh my god this is vegan mm. and it's stuff that I've learned to do because I had vegan clients and I had to make sure that I was Catered cooking their food. needs yeah. Catered, exactly and it needed to be just as delicious as what I would serve to my omnivores and vegetarian and pescatarian clients mm. so I've got a friend who I have to cook for now and they are pescatarians is that how you say it mm-hmm. pescatarian so yeah. they only eat seafood yes so the husband is a pescatarian and then the girlfriend does not eat any form of pepper so not even black or white pepper oh, okay i have a client like that that's so funny he can't eat a single spice <laughs> yeah and so i was like okay, i can do that but then the pepper i was just like i struggled now and mm-hmm. i have to come up with a menu because i have to host them and i'm struggling i will give you free advice please so <laughs> something i do like this client of mine he can't eat a lot of spices but there are certain things that he can't eat mm. so when it comes to not being able to use pepper he can do white pepper black pepper bell peppers definitely no habaneros nothing no so they can eat bell peppers but like no black oh. or white pepper and no no spicy pepper that's easy so i work with when i need to cook for him i use a lot of nutmeg i use a lot of cinnamon there's always options i use a bit of allspice some pimento seeds i don't even know what dish can no but anything so i always put cinnamon in my chicken when i cook my chicken i always put cinnamon i do and you try it I don't put like three tablespoons of cinnamon, but I will add a teaspoon of cinnamon to my dry rub and it makes all the difference. And it's amazing. Everyone, I hope you're listening. Did you hear that? Did you say a teaspoon? Yeah. So obviously it depends on the quantity of chicken you're making. (laughs) I I tend to cook a lot like Mm, (laughs) in volume. So maybe a pinch. If you're only only cooking three drumsticks, please don't use a whole (laughs) teaspoon. (laughs) I just use a pinch, Mm. but you know. So for him, and then I like a mix of sweet and savory things. So I use honey, I use, you know, different honeys, I use soy sauces and, you know, this... 
And spices, fresh, a lot of fresh herbs, fresh thyme, fresh basil, fresh rosemary, you know, fresh tarragon. I love tarragon. Absolutely adore tarragon. It's so delicious. So help me out with the menu here. I know I'm taking some trade secrets now, but like, I need your help here, honey. So pescatarian and no, no spicy pepper. So no black pepper, no white pepper and no, no hot pepper. Okay. Are you doing, are you doing a three three course thing? Yes, three courses. I've got my pen and paper ready. I'm here, boo. Okay, so if you're doing pescatarian, oh my God, and you're in Ireland, so you have access to some amazing produce. I mean, I know I like to cook. I'm no chef now, so, okay. you know. Do you want to start with like a soup? I can do a soup. A really simple like tomato soup. Okay. So I have a recipe somewhere. I can send it to you if you want it. Okay. I'm just I'll be get, grateful for that. Yeah, just get the black pepper. So get your tomatoes, saute them with onions, leeks, and garlic. Cook it down. Don't add too much. Add like a half a cup of water because tomatoes are really juicy, so they'll release their juices. What kind of tomatoes, so, though? Roma tomatoes or plum tomatoes or beef tomatoes. Just nice, deep red tomatoes and whatever's fresh. But use plum. I tend to use plum or Roma tomatoes mostly. Okay. So saute onions, garlic, leek together once that's all sauteed and nice you know slightly browned you don't want it too brown add your tomatoes mix it all up put a lid on there like add your half cup of water put a lid on there and let it cook down on super low heat until the tomatoes have released all their juices Mm -hmm. transfer that to a blender Mm -hmm. blend it till it's smooth pass it through a fine sieve so you can get rid of the tomato skins Mm -hmm. i would ask you to peel the skins off the tomato first but i know you won't do that so pass it through a blender season it with salt Add a tablespoon of sugar that really helps cut out the acidity. Acidity, yes. Mm -hmm. And then like a half cup of cream. Toss in some fresh basil at the end. Like just chop it off really roughly and toss it in and you're ready to serve. Serve it with like a nice garlic crostini. So get yourself some... (laughs) Crostinis are so easy. So buy some ciabatta or some sourdough. And mix garlic and butter together. Brush it over the crostini. Put it under your broiler for like three minutes, maybe. It doesn't have to be like super hard. And you serve it on the side. It's just a little toasted garlic bread. And that is your first course. So you said your garlic and what? Butter. Just okay. garlic and salted butter. Yeah. I always use unsalted butter and add my own butter, but just buy regular salted butter if you want. For your main course, you could do salmon. Oh, I make this really amazing salmon with tarragon and honey. I told you I love tarragon a lot. So basically what I do is I get my salmon, cut it up into, you know, individual portions. I like to cure it a bit in salt and sugar. So I take a one cup of salt and add a quarter cup of sugar to that. Mix it all up and coat the fish in that. Let it sit for 10 minutes, no longer than that. Otherwise it gets too salty. Rinse it, pat it dry. And there you have your salmon is already seasoned and the flesh has firmed up a little bit so that it holds itself together when you're cooking it one cup of salt and quarter cup of sugar and then yeah. that's just 10 minutes yeah coat the salmon with the salt and sugar mix okay. and let it sit for just 10 minutes rinse it off with cold water pat it dry and then in a pan put in some olive oil mix in a little butter in there stir the salmon always start on the skin side mm-hmm. so that you can get a nice crispy skin cook it depending on how thick it is five to ten minutes on the skin side until it looks cooked almost to the like to the middle and then flip it over let it cook on that side i serve my salmon kind of like medium not fully cooked because I feel like if you overcook it, it gets dry. You use a lot of moisture. I don't like the texture of fully, fully cooked salmon. Mm-hmm. So I cook it to like a nice medium. Slip it over for about 30 minutes. Take it out to rest. 30 seconds, in the, right? Sorry, 30 seconds. I said yeah. minutes. Wow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you for catching that. <laughs> now, in the same pan, add one tablespoon of honey, two tablespoons of lemon juice, and about one tablespoon of chopped tarragon. Mix it all up together. It makes a nice juice. Put your salmon back. Coat it in that. Sorry, it makes a nice sauce. Put 
put your salmon back in there, coat it in that lemon tarragon sauce, and then your salmon is ready to serve. Yep, and you can do whatever size you want with that. You can do mash. It goes really well with a mash, but then you need to make a separate gravy. You can make like a wild rice type of thing. Some cherry tomatoes, some parsley, some onions, a lot of garlic. I love garlic. Some fresh rosemary. Make like a wild rice salad. There's things you can do. Oh my God, this sounds so yum. It will be. I promise. Okay. But yeah, so I would... Like cooking for Presbyterians is easy. You make it sound so easy. It is. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> and then what are we doing with the dessert? Ooh, do you like creme brulee? It is my favorite okay. dessert no, in no, the world. No, no. Okay, I love okay. it, but I'm not gonna cook it. It is so easy. I don't to have make. a torch. I don't have a thingy. Like no. Oh, okay, fair enough. You know you could buy one off of Amazon and have it no, delivered, right? I wouldn't do it. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't do but, it. All right. So you won't do a creme brulee. Will you do French toast? I will do a French toast, yeah. You already bought shea butter, so you might as well use the rest of that loaf to make French toast. Okay. I can send you a French toast recipe. It's getting a little long, so I'm not going into how to make it. But what I do with my French toast is before I cook it, after passing it through my custard, I coat the sides of it in cinnamon sugar so that as the French toast is cooking, that sugar melts and caramelizes. And so you have a nice crunchy exterior on your French toast and a nice puddingy gooey interior. That sounds good. Mm, it is. And then do I serve that with ice cream or just syrup? It's up to you. You can serve it with ice cream or chantilly cream, some salted caramel. Now you've gone and made it fancy. Okay. <laughs> Get some good quality vanilla ice cream. So serve it with a scoop of that and some nice salted caramel. Okay, I think that will be tasty and tasty. Okay, that's awesome sauce. Thank you so much. What is the most challenging part of seeing a client through the event? Is definitely making sure everything goes to time. Do you find that they change their mind a lot? Oh yeah, that's when I say goes, goes to time, I mean the client being on time, not us being on time. I find people, especially when people do events in their home, it's difficult trying to, one, get them to stay focused on what you agreed on and get them to do things at a certain time. And because what we do is food, we kind of have to keep pushing them and saying, listen, if I make a steak, I need you guys to be seated so that you can eat the steak at the right temperature so that it's rested enough but it's not over rested so you're getting cold steak i need everything to be fresh and clients tend to just panic about everything because they want to see activity and i keep trying to explain to my clients that if you are organized then you don't need to be running around so sometimes they come into the kitchen and i'm just standing there waiting for them to be ready and they're like oh you're not cooking i'm like yeah we're ready but we're not going to start cooking until you're seated so yeah the most difficult thing for me for the most part now, at this point anyway, is getting clients to stick to a time because obviously I want my food to be served at a certain temperature and cooked at a certain time and all of that. So that's the most difficult part for me. Mm-hmm. So when you're deciding on a client, they come to you and they say they want you to be the chef for their event or what have you. Mm-hmm. What makes you decide to take their business? Have you decided to decline a client before? Oh, I do. I do. Has it been on gut instinct? What makes you decide, oh, this is right for me or not right for me? So, I mean, obviously when I look at the job, is it something I can do? If you call me to do a job for a thousand people, I'm definitely saying no because I don't have the capacity. Yeah. Um, so obviously first I look at the job. Is it something that 
I am able to do. Mm -hmm. If you call me to do anything that involves, you know, any sort of Chinese or Asian flavors or Indian flavors, I typically say no because I don't know how to do any of that. And I'm not going to attempt to recreate something in someone's culture and mess it up. I go with my gut feeling a lot, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I used to ignore it and I always got in trouble. So served you right. So So I, I check the vibe. Some people call and you can already see that they are going to choose or they might be difficult or you might not get along personality wise. So I tend to just refer them to somebody else that I feel more comfortable or will get along better with them. I do ask for referrals because the chef community in Lagos is small. Um, if somebody big calls me and I just reach out, I say, okay, thanks. I'll get back to you. And I reach out. I'm like, have you ever worked with this person? What was the experience? Do they still owe you money? Mm. Do they pay you in full? Mm. <laughs> uh, so that definitely is I, something I take into consideration. And then really the way people approach me, because I offer a service, I'm in the service industry, there are a lot of people who will talk down to me or talk down to my staff. Very true, very true. They think we are the help, which is fine. We're the help and there's nothing wrong with that. And I enjoy being the help, but I show all respect for my staff, my workers, um, my colleagues, and I think my clients, and I think the least my clients can do is show the same amount of respect. So if someone approaches me disrespectfully, I tend to immediately decline their offer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll point out it's because they were disrespectful and sometimes I just let it go. Yeah, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. So have you ever had somebody come back with a negative review? If so, how did you handle that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've been doing this for years, so I've messed up majorly on different jobs. Not a lot, thank you, knock on wood. But there's one particular job I I know, I didn't even need to be told. I know that I did a terrible job on. I completely ruined uh, this particular client's event because I, it was a job I couldn't do. Uh, it was a job for 400 people. And at the time, I definitely did not have the capacity to cook for 400. Um, but I wanted to take it on because I really liked the client. And I thought if I had enough hands, I would be able to handle it. Long story short, we were still serving food at like 2 a.m. when the event was supposed to be over at like 11. It was a mess. And obviously she was unhappy. Obviously everybody was unhappy. Her guests were unhappy. The people were on Instagram making jokes about it. It was terrible. I mean, I apologized that night profusely. And the first thing I did the next morning was send her an email and inform her that I'm aware I messed up. I apologized profusely. I offered her a refund right away. It was, it wasn't even a refund I could afford, but I offered her a refund right away. Um, and just really offered her free makeup dinner. Just like, I spent like three months apologizing. It was so sad, but you know, it's so funny. And she's still one of my really good clients and where because everybody after that was like oh my god you are ruined in Lagos blah 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 and people were showing me messages where she was like her friends who were so angry on her behalf and she was begging them and she's like oh no I know she messed up but you know she's really nice and she can really cook and she overextended herself and you know somebody who had wasted her money on me was actually defending me to people and she still recommends me to people I think one of the most important things when you mess up is own up to your mess up don't pretend don't share blame mm-hmm. just if you messed up then you messed up, Put your hand and, up and say it exactly and also you know, it's the way that you also recover from your mistakes. You know, you put your hand up, but not just that. It's also the relationship that you have with the person as well, isn't it? So mm-hmm. you've already fostered a good relationship with her as well. And you recovered well from the, the mistake, which is great. Yeah. And uh, we have never had an event like that ever again. 
It's so funny. I, I was doing an event sometime last year with 200 people. And because of processes and things being in place, I started to prep at about 9 p.m. the night before. Mm-hmm. 200 people, two courses with two options each for each course. So four dishes for 200 people. And you have to make 200 of everything because what if all 200 people want one thing? So literally that was 1,600 portions of food that I needed to make. And I started to prep at 9 p.m. the night before and we were ready to go by 12 p.m. the next day. And this is why processes are interesting. And I want you to remember that I needed to do two courses for 400 people two years before, or so about four years ago now. And I had a month to prepare and I still wasn't ready. Wow. So processes are important. But it took that to make you ready for this though. Oh yeah, it took that to make me be like, okay, you need to sit up. You can't just say I can cook and, you know, this is great, but you need to have processes and be able to do things properly and scale up. Yeah. Oof. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you were able to recover. That's for sure. Yeah, same here. So if you couldn't cook anymore. Oh, no. Why? If you decided that cooking wasn't for you anymore, what would you do? If I couldn't cook anymore, if I if I chose to not cook anymore, yeah. what would I do? I'd probably go back to woodwork. Are you serious? You wouldn't go back to makeup. It's woodwork. You'd go all the way back to it. I'd go back to woodwork. Oh, wow. That's very I... interesting. I love working with my hands. Like I said, I don't mind makeup. I don't think that's the life for me anymore, but I I would love to make furniture. So I would probably go to woodwork. I would love to work with like natural woods, make statement pieces. That's interesting. Okay. And so what is the future for Imateda now? The future for Imateda, I am working on a new business. I am thinking of setting up shop in a new country. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, yep. wow. We are considering that, considering it. It's still, it's on the table. It's not a do or die yet, but it's on the table. That's fascinating. Got to look at all the options. Obviously, we keep going for Hills in the Kitchen. We keep going with the food tour. Got to wrap up what I'm doing at the restaurant now and make sure that they are able to perform optimally once I leave because I will leave eventually and yeah generally adapting getting better daily that's amazing well Mm. thank you so much for coming on the show you've been an absolute star thank you for having me I enjoyed this (laughs) well please let us know where we can find you yes I am on Instagram Imateda I am on Twitter also Imateda my name never changes on any social media so at Imateda on Instagram and on Twitter and if you follow me on Twitter I'm sorry for all the things you will see that is my safe space and I rant a lot Um, and you can also obviously find Hills in the Kitchen at Hit Kitchen NG on Instagram as well as on Twitter and yeah our website www.hitkitchen.com that's H-I-T kitchen.com Thank you so much for listening to the episode I'll leave some information in the show notes for you if you enjoyed the episode please don't forget to give it a good review and subscribe to the podcast for more content Ciao soon. Ciao.